Don't glue what I wouldn't glue. <laughs> no, no. No, come on. <laughs> God. I'm sorry. That's just like, why is my hand stuck to my... This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to our episode two of our RC Roundtable. Our new podcast is second in the series of a rapidly expanding list of episodes. And back with us, we have Lee Ray. Hello. And we have Terry Dunn. Hi there. And, of course, myself, uh, some guy named Fitzwalker. Well, let's get into the show, and uh, I, I think we should jump right into our hobby news that we, uh, we seem to like last time that went really well. And uh, for this week, one thing I, I, that popped up kind of surprising in two different ways was that uh, Trick RC, the company that makes the infamous Zagi, is no longer going to be making Zagis. And so they're the, if you wanted to get a Zagi, you will no longer get one. And the second surprising thing about that was is that they were still making Zagis. That was my first thought. Uh, but the nice, I, I, not, not to dump on Zoggies. The Zoggie was actually a really, really amazing airplane when it came out, and it was like the first uh, electric plane that was embraced by glow guys, at least in my neck of the woods. And I thought, well, hey, the Zoggie, I don't don't have one anymore, or I might have pieces of one. Uh, But I'm sure both uh, you guys have some really great Zoggie stories, so I thought it might be neat to talk a little bit about your Zoggie story. You guys have any good stories about Flying or someone you knew flying the Zagi? Uh, stories? I, I don't know if I have that, but I definitely your... had a bunch of them back in the day. What are your thoughts on Zagi? Oh, it was fun. It was my go-to plane for a long time, and it was my uh, the plane that I modified to try crazy things with. You, you couldn't break it. There was nothing you could do to make it stop flying. So it was a, a good platform for anything you wanted to do, and that's what I did with it. I did landing gear. Um, I think that was the first airplane that I put a camera in. Just all kinds of stuff like that. That It was so simple and robust that it didn't care what you did to it. Lee, what are your thoughts? Well, in my neck of the woods, we call them zaggies. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> and, you know, back then, there was a lot of debate about how you pronounce it. And I emailed the... And, the Teason brothers, I don't even know if that's how you say the name, the guys at Trick RC, and they, they clarified that Zaggy is correct. No offense, Fitz. Uh, Some taken. Offense taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have never owned uh, a Zaggy. Uh, However, get off this podcast. We don't want to hear from you anymore. <laughs> However. You're fired. Uh, you're fired. <laughs> I, I have never owned a Zaggy, but the, I, I'm sure there are other people out there who have not. Uh, but they are very cool airplanes. I mean, when they came out, tons of people were, were starting to build flying wings of different uh, styles. Um, and between the three of us, one of the you know fun events at best, Tri-County Barnstormers, Best Electrics in South Texas, uh, is a Zaggy Combat. And it was uh, twice a day. You know, during the event, and I again didn't fly a Zaggy, but I had a Striker. So that was like one of those competition, you know, aircraft of the of the Zaggy, 
Uh, and they were fun. I mean, and, and everybody had fun flying both of them together. I think uh, I think they had a really good run. I was surprised to hear that they were uh, going out of business. But you know, as you as you know, it's just there's tons of different kits out there, and you, you get a good run. And they certainly had one. And it's just time to move on. And you made a good point. We we probably forever will have Zagi Combat. But I, I'm pretty sure the last couple of times I saw Zagi Combat, I didn't see any Zagis in there. There was everything else but Zagis. Yeah, it's still called the Zagi Combat. That's pretty fascinating. Including me. I if you y'all well actually Fitz was there. Terry, I don't think I had the the Thunder and Lightning out, but the last year I did uh, fly one of my Thunder and Lightnings in that combat. And one uh, you don't like? It, it was well to be clear, <laughs> this is full contact combat, not streamers. Correct. 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 Yeah, I uh I yeah, this I went was the Thunderdome of model airplanes, yeah. And it wasn't that I didn't like it, uh, Terry. It's just that it was the it was an older design, and I wanted to have fun. But here's the best part. I mean, going in the combat, you know, scenario, I got hit twice last year, and that's probably the one of the many times I've ever been hit. <laughs> Normally, they just fly around, make a lot of noise, and people just ooh and ah. Uh, but I was able to to glue mine back together for the next flight. So uh, a, a lot of fun. I mean, those those were great for combat, but the you know, a lot of people were annoyed just because how loud they were. My gosh, when they came in and you spin those tiny props at such a high RPM, they were just, oh, so noisy. But I guess that just, you know, something you, you take back from watching a Zaggy combat is that you, you know you're going to hear that screaming, you know, mosquito. Right. That was part of their trademark, was uh, that, that sound. Yeah, they were noisy, but I, I guess they were kind of a pioneering design. It was really the first super durable foam flying wing that flew off of NICADs and has a little Speed 400 motor in it, and it was super easy to build, uh, even though it was sort of a kit. It wasn't really an, I wouldn't really call it an ARV, but it was pretty quick to put together for what for the time. And and like you said, ultra durable. I mean, you can whack these things into the ground and, and into each other and all kinds of stuff and just pick it up and throw it again. Uh, and, it will yeah, and I think it was the first plane that people who didn't know much about electrics could go out and be successful with. You yeah. didn't have to worry about gearboxes or, or what battery to use. You, you had the, the Gunther spoon prop and a NICAD battery and a Speed 400, and that was it. Yes, it was the first really plug-and-play. You get pretty good performance, too. Yes, and that, I think that's why a lot of the Glow guys embraced it, because it was you know truly plug-and-play. Just charge it, fly it, and and it worked. Keep it in the back of your car if you want. Exactly. And, uh, and at least my, my own story with the Zagi is I had one, too, and I may still have parts of it somewhere. It eventually got beat beat up pretty bad. But funny enough, I actually used it for flight training a little bit. Uh, somebody uh, near me who was really, really new to flying models and didn't have anything, and I didn't really have any trainers, but I said, hey, wait a minute, I got this Zoggy thing. It's indestructible. I can give them some basic flight training on this. And at the time, I lived up in Fort Worth, and our flying field was right next to a lake. And so the, the person training, uh, uh, which happened to be a, a girl, which was interesting, and she was flying around. She was, what I recall, doing okay, but then something happened, and she got way out of whack, and I wasn't able to grab the transmitter fast enough. I ended up plopping it into the lake. And uh, she Oops. felt so bad that she crashed my plane into the lake that she actually waded out into the water to go grab my plane and bring it back, <laughs> <laughs> which was a really nice gesture, and you know, I told her she didn't have to do that. Uh, but uh, I don't think I flew it much after that. Call. But uh, but it was it was a the thing had lived for a long time. So we're starting to see the Zagi go. The Zagi is dead. Long live the Zagi. 
think I think that's what I'm going to go. Or Zaggy. Or Zaggy. Zaggy. I'm sorry. Well, okay. Well, we had enough to talk about Zaggies and our nostalgia. Zaggies. Zaggies. Uh, I'll never get that right, so it's pointless to correct me. Yeah, it's imprinted in your brain. I get it. All right. Well, after a quick break, we'll get into our meat of the program, and we'll see you right back. Okay, we're back, and uh, something uh, Terry was telling me offline before is is about some of the our other podcasts were going away or, or, or some such thing. Uh, Terry, you want to tell us about that? Right, I was looking on the Crashcast webpage yesterday, and they announced that um, the episode that they just posted is the final one. So, in a way, that that's sad, but the good news is um, the core of the group is grabbing the torch and starting a new podcast um the new one's called i believe angle of attack so for the <laughs> most part i think Crashcast is still going forward oh that's a catchy name well yeah i understand they've been around for a long time so it was, it was sort of surprising to hear that they were kind of going away but it's good to know that they're going to be revived and come back uh like the yeah, I agree. I'm uh, fairly new to the Crashcast just in the past uh, year or so, but they've been around for a long time, and they've got a big following. So I'm, I'm glad to see that you know, they're, they're remaining together. And looking at the history of other RC-related podcasts, there have been several that have come and gone and kind of without notice. So I wish them luck. I wish us luck. Yeah, I was just thinking that we're, we're new to this game, and it'd be... We'd, we'd certainly like to be around for a long time, and but since we're now on the inside looking out, we can see the actual meat grinding it takes to produce a podcast, and I can understand how, after a while, it may be something a bit tedious to do or trying to herd the cats in order of a bunch of people to do these things every week or every couple of weeks, something like that. So it's no small task, and so it's going to be an interesting ride for us, I think. Yep. Indeed. I was I was lucky to be uh, on as a guest on All Things That Fly, and once you're in this seat doing the podcast, I think you you have a lot more respect for those guys on how they they keep them running. Uh, I was sad to hear that they are no longer, and uh, my friend Ben, who was on the RC Today Show, they're they're no longer, and I'm kind of sad for myself that I never knew about RC Radio Network. Uh, I didn't know about that until we started this discussion earlier, and I started going out there, and they had a really nice uh, podcast running, which is gone. So, you know, of the of the well, I guess four now, the four we've just discussed, that's a, that's a huge loss for the RC industry. So, yeah. So what's left? We've got Angle of Attack. Um, you know, if we gain some traction, it'll be us. Um, the Flight Test Guys, I believe they have a couple of podcasts that they do. RC Groups. Uh, right, RC Groups. Um, I, I don't think they're on a, a steady schedule, but they, they do spit some podcasts out. And Flying Giants. So the, those are two related. Right. And us. So, yeah, right. And uh, So hopefully um, there'll be a, a library of RC-related podcasts for, for us to share with. Yeah, if it's anything like life, things will go in cycles, and uh, there'll be people stepping in to fill the void, uh, like us. Ah. Yeah, you guys will probably make me mad. 
at some point, and I'll boycott. Oh, you're such a prima donna. I'm <laughs> sure we can fill your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like my mother. <laughs> and you know what? Your mother was going to be one of our guests. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to us, and, and thanks to the uh, other guys who uh, gave us some good podcasts over the years. Indeed. Right, and good luck to the guys doing Angle of Attack. Yes, I look forward to hearing their new stuff. Same here. Well, speaking of multiple podcasts, I like to talk about multiple designs of the same model. And I think Lee is real sensitive to this as something we call design knockoffs, where you design something and suddenly, well, wait a minute, somebody else has produced the same exact thing uh, as what I have without even asking me. And I know uh, Lee, but Lee and Terry have stories firsthand about this kind of stuff. Uh, who wants to talk about lead off on this? <laughs> well, I'll start, but I, I loved how Terry got involved. When we were doing a, a test or a discussion over Skype, I was talking to Fitz, and I think Terry had to step away. So just for fun, I was just looking online to see other people's versions of my Thunder and Lightning. And I had gone to Google, did a search, and looked at images, and I saw a couple of my photos. And I was just curious how people were linking back to my thread or my videos. And I clicked on this one site. I'm desperately trying to find it. On <laughs> I thought I saved it in my, my bookmarks. But I came across this site that looked like it was in, where was it, Korea? Vietnam, Vietnam, and they had taken all my photos from the thread on RC groups, pasted them out there, including some of my YouTube videos, gave some specs that came straight from the text, and were trying to sell my Thunder and Lightning through their site. And at first, I was I was laughing at it. It's it's a scratch build. It's something people can just build. It's not an expensive design, and it's a little frustrating. But once Terry came back on and we opened up more pages and, and Fitz had his wife kind of translate some of this stuff for us, we then realized that there were way more kits being <laughs> cloned. Or I mean, I don't even know if they're building them. It, it seems kind of odd that they would just put pictures from flight test. And I think they had some from Keith Sparks. Is that correct? Um, maybe they did. Yeah, but there's no evidence that they're actually producing anything. Everything exactly. on the website is, is taken from some other source. Exactly. And, you know, Fitz has a, a very convenient Vietnamese translator. I really think we need to yank their chain and see if we can get some information out of them. Yeah, that's a good point. We can send them an email or, or kindly worded note saying what's going on here. Or just pretend just we, we want to buy pretend something. Pretend that you want to buy one and see what you get. Yeah, yeah. Get some information. Yeah. They'll probably get balsa. Let's, <laughs> balsa. Let's be sneaky. Yeah, you think we should just order one? <laughs> no. <laughs> God, the shipping alone would break us. Yeah. Just ask a, an innocent question about it and see what you get. Mm, that's a good point. Now, Terry, have you had any other design? I mean, the uh, the one that comes to mind is your parallax mm -hmm. and i that story is the one that bothers me more than this little you know cut and paste issue and that's your parallax tell us about that one well i, I don't know if there's any examples of people um stealing that there was one video that was out there where it kind of sounded like a guy was claiming credit for for designing it he had built a version for himself with a little bit different construction technique but I think that was just 
a loose interpretation of what he was saying. I feel like he was put under the gun. Somebody shoved a camera in his face and said, tell me about your plane. And the words didn't come out right. Uh, but I don't have any examples of a company trying to produce or otherwise knock off that design. So so should I feel offended that, that it's not worthy of being copied? Uh, well, I... I thought that that issue was more bothersome because the the person claimed that it was his. Well, at the time, you know, when I first saw it, I'm like the nerve of that guy. But then, you know, once I gave it some time to to process, I'm like, all right, I can see where it's just misinterpretation. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Did you post anything in the thread that, that let him know mm -hmm. such? No, I didn't. Actually, other people did. There were in the comments on YouTube. The, somebody or a couple people put, you know, this is actually a design that you know, plans are available, blah, blah, blah. So I, I didn't have to say anything. Um, and I was happy to let it go at that. Uh, crowdsourcing. And that was over a year ago. So it's uh, the wounds had healed and Lee just ripped it back open. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, we're sold on it. But it is a really, but it, I, I mean, I think your parallax has. A more unique feature than the thunder and lightning so I do respect your design more that's why I was more upset for you than I was for someone just stealing my photos and trying to make an attempt and I've always enjoyed people going on the thunder and lightning thread and and showing their different versions I mean there was one time where I don't say it was heated but people kept posting how they didn't like the battery sitting on the side on this profile and, and uh, there were a couple of guys who kept building it so that the battery be encased in a fuselage. I wasn't going to change my design. I like it the way it is, but it is neat to see how people can take that design and, and play with it. So, uh, again, I wasn't I wasn't as angry, but when Terry got on and he started looking at all the photos on that Vietnamese site, which, by the way, I found the link, so we'll put this in our podcast, so maybe there's someone else out there who's got a design that's being sold in Vietnam. No, 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 don't <laughs> legitimize them. Oh, I, but no, it's like we need to make this aware that people are, uh, you know, they're they're stealing designs out there. Well, that it's funny you mentioned that because I did find uh, one of my other plans that I had published on one of those free download plan sites. And when I looked for other stuff, I found several. Um, well, I found your Thunder and Lightning on there. And I found uh, stuff designed by friends of ours. And we're not talking about 60-year-old, old-timer stuff that's you know, possibly in public domain. This is pretty new stuff that people are just blatantly scanning or just getting the, the PDF files and posting for free download. Well, I, I think this is the world we live in, in the digital age of, of effortless copying, that kind of stuff. Uh, I just remember this actually happened to my sister where she makes clothes that's generally replicas from stuff from uh, movies and that kind of stuff. And she actually had a uniform uh, from the new movie coming out, uh, The Suicide Squad. And she okay. she made a replica, I think, for the Harley Quinn costume, the, the Joker's female cohort. And it actually became quite popular. In fact, she had a picture of a customer wearing it and next to one of the actors from the movies and they got tweeted out and she got a bunch of business from that. And lo and behold, not too long later, too much longer later, she found somewhere in China somebody had copied her very pictures and was also selling copies of the uh, of the uniform. And so not only were they selling the copy of the uniform, but they were actually using her exact pictures that she had taken for her promotion on her website. 
Wow. Yeah, and so she wasn't too happy about that. Uh, and that's why he's lessened his watermark your stuff. But even even then, it, you're not safe from that kind of stuff. And so Yeah, that's just going to slow him down a little. But that's, yeah. I think you have to. Sort of the world we live in at this point. And yeah, it's really a constant it, whack-a-mole. In the not-so-distant past, I worked at a plastics manufacturing company. And we had a lot of entrepreneurs coming in who had an idea, hey, I want to make this plastic widget. And the general consensus among those guys was they had about six months to make their stuff and get their money back before anything that's worthwhile gets copied and and sold at you know, pennies on the dollar. So that, that's just kind of the nature of the, the retail business these days. Well, and That's unfortunate. Yes, it is. But you know, life goes on. Well, I think that was a really, really interesting discussion. But uh, let's move on to our next topic, which is batteries. Uh, Lee thought we should talk about some Lippo batteries and perhaps maybe the state of the art uh, as we hear now. Uh, for all three of us, we've been in the hobby since what we call the round cell days. I think we met, we talked about it a little bit in our last podcast, where we had NICADs and nickel metal hydrides, and then. We were there on the ground floor when lithium batteries made their appearance, and this was just such a, a major lifesaver. We had more power, more runtime, and about what about a third the weight. And uh, even the early lipos were pretty crude and barely functional. It was still such a revolutionary thing. We knew things were going on, and uh, I remember one of the first things that really freaked people out is in the helicopters. And one of the companies, I think it was Tannic. Um, they came out with a battery pack and flew a helicopter for 20 minutes of 3D and just people just just lost their panties over it. And, and that was really the, the big thing that suddenly put Lippos on the front page of the RC modeling world. And, uh, can I can I point out another pronunciation difference we have here? I'm so with you, Gary. <laughs> I'm so with you. You know what? I'm out of here. You guys have your own podcast. <laughs> Lipo, right? Yeah. Well, I I don't know what's correct here. That's how I've said it, but I think if you if you break down where it comes from, you're probably right, Fitz, because it's lithium. So li so lipo would be the the logical pronunciation, but you're the only person I know that says it that way. Well, then it would be so. lipa. <laughs> If you're doing my no, pronunciation, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so let's from, from now until the rest of the show, it's Lipa, Lipa. <laughs> and no one will have any idea what we're talking about. My Lipa took a dipa. Yeah. So Terry and I are going to say lipo, and, and Fitz is going to say lipo. That's right, damn it! I'm say it the way I want to. You don't know me. I do what I want. <laughs> well, I just want. I'm just kind of musing on even. Lippos have changed so much from those early days. We've got really powerful stuff. They've come out with a couple of different types of batteries, which I've one of them I've actually started playing with is the the, the high voltage uh, lipos. Uh, although some are saying they may be actually lithium cobalt cobalt oxide batteries, not necessarily lithium polymer. Uh, regardless, they uh, this is they these type of batteries you actually charge them a little higher than normal. Lithium batteries top off at about 4.2 volts a cell. These you can charge at 4.35 volts a cell. And uh, so apparently you can cram in about 10% more energy into them. And uh, so far, the one at the pack I've been playing with actually has been working really well. I've been pretty happy with it. Uh, it's probably not quite good enough for, say, high power stuff like a ducted fan. But for general sport flying, I really like these. 
Uh, the only problem is you need a charger that can charge that high and not all chargers can do that. It's just to show that things are still constantly changing even in the lithium world. You guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I was going to ask you about your new batteries. What's the, the cutoff voltage for those? Oh, the cutoffs are 4.35 volts per cell instead of 4.2. Well, well, that's the high. What about the low? The lows are the same, believe it or not. Okay. So 3.2-ish? Yes. 3.2 volts? Three, okay. Yeah, but 3.2 is, is a, the floor you want to get to on the low end. So which I was surprised, too. I thought, well, maybe the floor is a little higher, but it turns out no. And these are apparently really good cells. You can fast charge them. Uh, they're actually pretty light for their size. Uh, I think that some of them even have slightly more capacity. I think I was able to shove a, uh, I think a 2400 milliamp hour pack in the same space as roughly a 2200 milliamp hour pack. So it's the same form factor? Roughly. I think it's slightly bigger, but not a, not huge enough to make but, a difference. You know, it's a rectangular... Yes, yes. Okay. They look just like lith lithium polymers. I'm not going to say that other word. <laughs> but Lee, any thoughts on uh, lithium batteries and how they, what they mean to you? I do. I'll go, I'll go back uh, in a bit on what I was going to hopefully bring to the table, but going on your discussion on these high voltage, I have not actually heard of these new packs. And, uh, and in fear of Terry blowing his brains out his ears, are these from Hobby King? Uh, Hobby King does make some under their Turnji label, and there's another company that makes them. Uh, I forgot the name, but it's not related to Hobby King. But So there's a couple different brands out there for this. Can you share the brand that you have? Yes, I've tried the Turnigy. Okay. You still with us, Terry? <laughs> well, to be clear, Hobby King is completely irrelevant in the conversation of knockoffs. So. <laughs> yes. Okay, just so, just sometimes I hate to say that word. Although technically <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yes, we don't know these are knockoffs. This is their Bolt brand. So it could be a totally indigenous thing. We, we don't know. So, uh, But... I thought I'd give him a try. It was a big, long thread on RC groups on this, and I thought, oh, this sounds pretty interesting. And so far, I've been actually pretty impressed with them. We'll see how long they last, uh, but I think for general sport flying, I've been really happy with them. I, I'm out of the loop. I did not hear about these. I mean, you know, with, with Turnigy brands, you've had the Nanotechs, and I tried a few of those, and I've felt that they weren't any better than the traditional LiPos, so I've really been for not for or against them. Um, I, I do like Turnigy batteries. I, I do have several for my electrics. But I'm looking at this high-voltage one, and my Thunder and Lightning takes a 3S 1300, and I'm looking at the specs, and gosh, right off the bat, I mean, the weight's a little higher, actually, uh, fits on this one, but we're looking at a 65C constant and a 130C burst. I mean, can you imagine... <laughs> taking one of those back in time when we were looking at just, you know, 1C <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I actually looked it up. Some of the old, you remember the old Cocam batteries that were the first right. really ones out of the box? And those were like 15C max. And, and so you can only pull about you know, something like 30 amps out of a, a 2000 pack. And now you can get the same size pack or a smaller pack and pull 100 amps out of it, no problem. So it's just amazing what we what we have nowadays. Yeah. Well, right. At the beginning, we were running everything in parallel because you didn't have enough discharge yes. out of the single pack. So actually you, did that, You had too. to run several packs in parallel to, to be able to do that. So you would get crazy capacity, and you could fly forever. But 
you had to haul around a lot of batteries to do it. Yeah, I think I had one of my first packs from, I think, Thunder Power was something like 8,000 milliamp hour 3S. I mean, it was <laughs> but it weighed as much as a, a regular uh, what, 10 cell NICAD. Right, it tripled or more of the capacity. Yeah, the capacity was just incredible. So, yeah. yeah, and I said one C, and I meant ten C, because my first my first lipo was a cocam, and I pretty much switched to the Thunder Power. I, I guess the the stable uh, is that the word I'm looking for? The staple, rather, not stable. The the staple of our hobby was the Thunder Power 3S 2100 10 C, and then they went to the that was the yellow label, if I'm correct, and then they quickly upgraded to the 15 C, which was kind of that tan label, and I had lots of those. Those flew a lot of my airplanes. I think that was my first lipo as well, and I felt like I was stealing it when I paid seventy-five bucks each. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't talk about the five hundred dollar battery pack I had at one point. Wow. Yeah, it was insane price. It was like a ten cell, I think, at the time. It was for a really big helicopter, and it was just. But it was the only game in town. Mm-hmm. And I paid three hundred dollars for a max amp for an electric conversion, and that I thought that battery would last me forever. <laughs> so, yeah, I felt your your pain. Yeah, it's amazing what we did back then. How much money we blew through, probably. Though I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, I'm looking at this thirteen hundred. It's fifteen dollars. <laughs> it's fifteen something. Yeah, for be- a. 65C 1300 wow that's just that's amazing yeah they're probably giving it away now those people who are just coming into the hobby now you don't know how good you have it speaking of 100Cs and 15Cs we really should talk about battery wires and uh, how important it is to correctly size the wire for your electric setups because you can get into big trouble especially now that we can pump 100 amps through uh through our motors and, and planes to get the high power, especially inducted fans. And uh, the reason why I came up with this is I uh, there's a, something that happened to me uh, uh, a year or two ago, I think, and it was all my own fault, being stupid uh, and being lazy. You know, being a combination of stupid and lazy is never a good thing. Uh, I was building a new ducted fan, twin engine, or twin motor, uh, jet, and I was... It was a really neat design. I thought, hey, cool, I'm like, I got this thing. I picked up some motors for real cheap. I didn't know a whole lot about them, uh, but I thought they would fit in these fans. Uh, I think it was 70-millimeter fans. So I wired this thing up, and uh, and I go out and fly it, and the next thing I know, the canopy's on fire. In the air. Oops. Yes, that wasn't, <laughs> uh, Yeah. And uh, that wasn't a special feature of this airplane. It wasn't a special feature of this airplane. And so I immediately cut the throttles, tried to do a dead stick landing, and this thing, it's like a blowtorch coming out of the canopy. You can even hear it. It made this sound as I'm dead sticking this thing in. And I land it, and it hits the ground, and the nose breaks off, and it just engulfs itself in, in flames. And uh, fortunately, we have fire extinguishers at the uh, our flying field, so we ran out to the thing and, distinct, and extinguished it. And uh, the post-mortem was I had obviously used two small gauge wires in wiring this thing up. And what happened is, uh, since this was a a ducted fan, the motor's in the rear, the battery's in the front, so I had actually extra long lengths of wires in the thing. 
wires that probably would have been okay if they had been a short run, but for the long run, they were just much too small. And what would happen is the motors, which I hadn't done enough research in, are known amp hogs. And so motors, I thought, would only be pulling maybe 60 amps or something like that. We're pulling like 100 amps each uh, in this setup. It turned out I had used the wrong motors for this particular fans, and they were just it was just arc welding. And, uh, and so instead of using really thick gauge wire, it, basic wire theory is the thicker the gauge wire, the more current it can handle. And if it's too thin, it basically just turns into a resistor. And resistors, when you put power through them, turn current into heat. And that's what happened here. It turned a lot of current into a lot of heat and enough to catch the plane on fire. And I, I don't know if you guys had any similar stories, but uh, this is one thing that maybe is not talked about too much. Because uh, when you look on the side of on wires, there is labeling on them. It says AWG, which is the, the gauge, the wire gauge. And one thing to remember is the larger the number, the smaller the wire. I don't know why they do that, but uh, so a 10 gauge wire is bigger than a 20 gauge wire. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that right off the bat. But I, I thought this would, would be <laughs> not a story I like to tell, but uh, it's it, it happened and hopefully my mistakes will cause other people to not make that mistake. Well, I have a couple of questions. Yes. Do you know of a reference that explains what the appropriate size wire is for a given uh, amp draw and voltage? Uh, DC? Yes. Most the of the references I know of relate only to AC currents, and it just doesn't jibe in DC. I honestly don't remember. I did find some tables. I think if you do a web search, you can find some DC tables. It might take a little more Google food to get it. Uh, I also found a lot of those things are pretty conservative, too. Right, and also it depends on the length too. You can get away with a smaller wire diameter if it's just a really short length, versus a long length. Uh, I think for most of the stuff we work with, uh, I haven't. I have a jet that pulls 100 amps with a, a 10 cell battery pack, and I think I use 10 gauge wire on it without any problems at all. And also, you can get buy a little bit smaller gauge on the back end of the speed controller. The three wires that go to the motor can be a little bit smaller than the main feed wires as well. For tables, I don't remember, but there's some general rule of thumbs and from experience, you know. It's always better to go too big than too small. Okay. And in my experience, you want the, the more flexible multi-strand wire as well for DC. Oh, and yeah. I think it's important to use wire with a silicon sleeve instead of PVC Yes. Uh, I, n not in an airplane, but in a different project uh, during my engineering days. I made a device that used wire um, that had the PVC um, insulator on it and had a problem. And not only did the device th overheat, but the PVC caught fire and added much more damage than would have otherwise happened. Wow. So, yeah, it burns hot, and then it makes a big gooey mess. So speaking of big gooey mess, Lee? <laughs> well, my father was a an electrical engineer with Chevron, so he, he pretty much taught me how to solder and so forth. So through his lessons, I, I've always known to keep the wire short, and you know the higher the amp rating, you know, get the, the thicker gauge. 
But when I got into the hobby, I think one of my big questions was uh, the connector types, you know, the actual connector, how many amps could it handle? I've been a Dean's Ultra guy for a long time. That was pretty much, if I'm not mistaken, a standard on most batteries when they first came out. Some people were using bullets and uh, what was that? What was that other popular one? I uh, Fitz uses the Anderson's power. Anderson pulse. pulse yeah. <clears throat> so I think they can handle higher amp ratings. Um, but like Dean's is rated at 50 up to 75 and I'm using EC5s now, which are, I think, rated at 100, 125. Because, quite honestly, it, most of the battery packs we're getting today, because of the ratings, are, you know, 12. And, gosh, I think I got one at 10 gauge. You can't put a Dean's connector on that. Um, because, right off the bat, it's like you said, Fitz, it's a heat sink. <clears throat> you got that much wire, you put your soldering iron to it, you get that gauge of wire, and it just dissipates right down the wire. So it's hard to to keep that thick wire hot enough to to connect it. So I've been using uh, EC5s with success. So most of my newer packs have to go that far. It's the big connector, though. I mean, you get a, you get a 1300 milliamp pack and you put an EC5 on it. It's it it uh, it towers over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not had any uh, issues as far as uh, overheating wires. I've just unfortunately had my issues of charging a a, a lipo. Incorrectly. <laughs> Before you get to that catastrophe, I, I want to point out that um, it seems like the JST connectors are making a comeback. I thought they were going to die, but the, here they are again. So I'm seeing them in a lot of applications and fairly high current, like 10 amps plus. But in my experience, anything over 5 amps with a JST, and these are the little red guys with two pins, um, but anything over 5 amps is just asking for trouble. They're, they're uh, notoriously inefficient and and yeah. they'll actually melt together I, if you put too much current through Yeah, them. I found, uh, I think we actually did resistance measurements, and, and the JST connectors, like Terry said, they're above 5 amps, they're really no good. They have a high resistance to them, and, uh, and that's why they melt to each other, because they'll, they'll, the resistance is, it's, uh, makes current turn into heat, and that's why. And so they're good for really small stuff. I've used them on, like, receiver pack connectors and that kind of stuff, but anything more than a few amps, you're, they're not a good connector. And I usually go to uh, Dean's makes a, a nice little mini connector that's much better. Uh, yeah, I had a, an ARF sometime last year, and it came with the JST plugs. And I want to say it pulled around 12 amps uh, in that configuration. Ooh, and because yeah. most of my battery stash has ultra plugs, after I did my initial watt meter reading on it, I switched it to ultra plugs and did a watt meter reading again. And I got a 50% increase in power. Yeah, yep, yep. So which I, exactly I was right. blown away by that result. Yes. To go back a little bit to what t- uh, Lee was talking about, uh, two things. Uh, one of the things I like about the, the Anderson power poles that I use is that for the larger ones, you have actually have a crimp-on connector. So I don't have to do any soldering. I just crimp onto the wire, and it's very good for large-gauge wires. Uh, but if you're having problems soldering, uh, one thing, as silly as it sounds, Use a mini torch instead of a soldering iron, unless you got a really big, hundred something watt soldering gun. Uh, I had to solder something I forgot what it was. And I was having a heck of a time until I whipped out one of those little, small butane torches, and just heat that sucker up, and the solder flowed like water. It was much easier to solder something, but it's tricky using that because it's a lot of heat everywhere. Yeah, I'd be worried about the connector housing. Uh, yeah, you can't do that in the connector housing. You just you nuke the connector housing. I solder torch my EC5s. It works out really well. 
The other question I had for you, Fitz, on that um, jet that died. Yes. Why didn't you know beforehand that it was going to pull that many amps? Aren't you a religious uh, watt meter guy? Yeah, that was the stupid part. I didn't use the watt meter on it. I uh, that was yes. I usually do use a watt meter. I think I was in a rush or something. I just watered it all together, ran it up, and said, hey, this is good, and went. It was one of those times that I didn't use a watt meter, and it bit me in the butt because that would have immediately told me that strange things are afoot at the Circle K. And <laughs> so, for those who don't know, a watt meter is a little device. There, there's several different versions now. The original was um, the, who made the oh Astroflight. Astroflight. Yeah. Um, I've still got my original Astroflight. still works too. But it's a little device you plug in line between the battery and your airplane system, and it measures real-time voltage, current, uh, power output, and milliamp hours used. Did I get all that? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, And it really should be considered standard equipment for anybody who flies electrics, for I, the reasons Fitz has noted. I... Uh, early on when I started doing the e-conversion on a globe plane purchased the uh, Hyperion e-meter which is very similar I liked how this had a T adapter where it had a Deans in one way you know Deans male on the out so you just inlined and then it gave you tons of information not only you could add prop data so you could actually get your amount of watts that the props generating <laughs> I mean it had all kinds of menu options they kept improving on it but eventually uh, people kind of went back to the uh, the Astroflight type. I think E-Flight has an, a meter, a watt meter. That's E-Flight does. Great Plains does. I've got the Great Plains one. I like it. Um, I think other uh, companies across the big ocean make some. Yeah, GPS pretty much everybody <laughs> has one. Yeah. My uh, biggest problem now with watt meters is finding one that has actually has high enough current now. I think most of them top off at about 100 amps, 70 amps, something like that. And uh, I have a large electric that's pulling somewhere between 140 to 160 amps, something like that. And I can only guess because my watt meter wasn't powerful en enough to tell me how many amps it was. And it burnt out a 120 amp speed controller. Oops. So I had to put a 180 amp speed controller in it, and that worked fine. Um, and But when I went online to look around, apparently nobody makes an amp meter that high. Uh, in the hobby world, at least not anymore. I think there used to be one, and it's no longer made, and it's coveted by people who actually who have them, and they don't want to get rid of them. Uh, mm. So you're now left. You used to be able to use a digital voltmeter and a special shunt. Yes, to measure you could high. do. You in fact, do that? yeah, in fact, I've done that before. What you do is you can look up the formula. Uh, I, this goes back to wire gauge. You look up the wire gauge you're using, and it'll tell you how long of a distance to put two, say, um, straight pins that you would poke through the wire and uh, basically a shunt. And so you're basically, and you would use a digital multimeter and the multimeter is actually measuring the voltage drop between these two points in the wire, and, but it equals the current. So you read it as current on your meter, even though technically it's voltage. Uh, and, and that's a good way of measuring really high power setups. Guys used to do that back in the uh, uh, the those the flew to hotliner type planes that would pull a couple mm -hmm. hundred amps or something like that, and uh, and that's really the only thing I'm left with other than getting a really really expensive clamp-on meter for DC, oh, right. which are pretty pretty pricey. So, anyways, 
I think we've uh, beat this topic to death. I think perhaps we can uh, take a break for a minute and uh, come back and wrap everything up. And we're back. Let's uh, move into our final segment for this podcast, and that's our On the Workbench segment, where we discuss what each of us have on the workbench, either something we've just started, just finished, or are currently working on, although not necessarily all three at the same time. Uh, Terry, what's on your workbench? You always got something interesting. Uh, Usually several. Last time we talked about that F-14 that I got from you, the EDF. Yeah, you get that thing flying finally? No, no. It actually, I haven't done anything with it. So that's still uh, in the on-deck circle. But since then, I've done a couple other reviews. Um, I'm working on the Chroma 4K that I think I mentioned last time, which is a aerial photography quad with a 4K camera. Uh, that's a pretty neat uh, deal. Yeah, it's my right. first experience with 4K. And it's a good thing I just updated my laptop because my old laptop just chokes and sputters when I try to run 4K video. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I had a coworker who bought the, uh, the, the the brother to that, the unique 4K. Oh, okay. The, they come out the, the Typhoon? Factor. Yeah, the Typhoon. And he had the same problem. I mean, whenever he recorded 4K, it just drew his computer to a, a, a crawl. Uh, it takes a lot of yeah. processing power. I believe 4K is not as compressed as, as anything else, so it takes a lot of computer horsepower to do it. But, uh, yeah, so for people who are interested in, in kind of getting the latest, greatest uh, video platform, you got to factor in the whole package. You need a, a computer that can handle it, too. Um, so anyway, uh, but what I really like is it's got the downlink video on the transmitter. So you don't have to have your tablet or your phone attached to it. It's all right there, integrated together. So it's a nice feature. But uh, in addition, oh, I just got a, a Phantom 4 in the mail. That'll be an upcoming review. Um, uh, other than opening the box to verify that it's all there, uh, I haven't messed with it yet, but that'll be exciting. Now, you mean and, F4 Phantom or Phantom 4 like a quad? Oh, no, DJI Phantom 4. Okay. The, the, the latest quad from DJI. So, and, and it's got some innovative new stuff with uh, collision avoidance, things like that, which, again, I haven't actually tried yet, but that's what's on the pamphlet. Now, now they had another one that sort of had articulated legs and stuff, so does this one, does this one like, transform into a robot or something? <laughs> no. Um, it's like the original Phantom. The shadows are very similar, so it's got fixed landing gear. Uh, I think it's a little bit bigger diameter-wise, and it runs on 4S instead of 3S. Um, so it's just uh, the next iteration of the, the Phantom series. Nothing outrageous. In uh, fixed-wing circles, I've been flying the Stiefenbeil, Stoffenbeil, whatever the new <laughs> import <laughs> from Horizon. <laughs> yeah, the Corsair, the 1400mm, which is what, 57-inch, 55-inch, something like that. Uh, that's a four-cell uh, foamy with retracts and, and all the lights and flaps and that's been fun so i put my run cam on it got some in-flight video the other day on the top and bottom and uh, i'm having fun with that one so i'm hoping to lock some more flights this coming week oh great sounds great sounds yeah. awesome look forward to the review on the uh the new quads yeah i'll let you know uh i have a couple of new things i've started working on or will work on one of them is uh, uh 
one of a, a local person here was selling not one but two Electrofly F20 EDF jets. These are little guys. Uh, they're no longer made, but they look really neat. I think they have something like a 55 millimeter fan on them or something like that. And the, the, uh, the Great Plains fan, the Hyperflow. Yes. It's, yeah, that's been around since brush motor days, and, and it, I guess it takes the new power well. I've put over 500 watts in one, and they do fine. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, these yeah. are designed for 4S. They have brushless setup in uh, 4S batteries, I think 2200, something like that. And uh, what we thought was neat was he had two of them that were never flown and pretty much ready to go. I think one needed servos. And so I, I talked to uh, Jeff, who normally does my camera work on my review videos. I said, hey, let's get a couple of these. We can chase each other around with them and, and uh, all kind of get into all kinds of trouble with them. And he said, surprisingly, he says, yeah, let's do that. So we went and picked them up and... Uh, I just got it ready to fly. I haven't flown it yet, and uh, I think his is almost ready too. And uh, they, these do not come with landing gear, and so we were actually just talking about putting some really cheap landing gear on them because we have a, a paved runway. And uh, I think it'd be fun little things to fly around and and, and do some formation and all kind of other stuff and see how long we can see how long it takes for us to crash them into smithereens. And uh, do you have one of those, Lee? No. <laughs> Did you have one before? Oh, I thought you had shared a story about buying one of those at a swap meet. Okay. I must be thinking of another Lee. <laughs> yeah, must be. Lee Harvey? Lee Bakers? <laughs> I know a Lee Harvey. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> also, speaking of Lee, Lee, you'd be happy to know. I have joined the dark side, and I have a racing quad. <gasps> yes, I actually have now one of the new Rise RXD 250s. Uh, this is my very first racing quad, and so I'm really new to this, and I'm also pretty new to FPV. And so uh, this one I'll be doing a review on, and it'll pop up on my Hobby View uh, YouTube page at some point. And uh, I look forward to flying this thing around and seeing how well I can do in this newfangled racing quad FPV thing that seems all the cool kids seem to be doing these days. Do you have goggles, or are you going to use a monitor? I have a monitor. Okay. I have the the Tactic Dual Diversity Monitor that uh, I've been using. I'm also going to be doing a review on that as well. And so I have the, I already have the transmitters, monitor, so I'm ready to go. I just got to put this thing together and get it up flying. Yeah, I've got one in the box, too. I haven't done much with it yet, but uh, it looks like a pretty squared away little system. Yeah, it looks like it, it should take only a few minutes to get ready to go, and uh, it one of the traits supposedly is that's very durable, which I think is perfect because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, have you ever programmed a flight controller before? I have not. No. Okay, so that'll be a new experience for you, and I think that's required here. Oh, is but, it? Uh, yeah, for me, there was a little bit of a learning curve the first time, uh, and probably since I haven't done it in a while, there'll be a relearning curve. But uh, I don't expect you'll have any issues. No, no, I, I probably can sweep my way through it without too much of an issue. If not, I'll just call you. <laughs> Fair enough. And I would urge you to get goggles. Um, it's a different experience. Yeah, the problem is I wear glasses, and goggles and glasses oh, don't right. get along. I've tried with some of the Fat Shark stuff, and it just, it's its painful. Mm. Uh, though I, I do understand it may have some stuff now. I saw something apparently that works over glasses, but it, it's, it's a pretty big contraption-looking thing. There's... The head plays? Is that what you're talking I about? I think it's a head play, yeah. Like I said, I don't, okay. I'm don't. i new to this, so I'm going to have to do some more research. So I'll use a monitor for now. I actually put 
a FPV set up in one of my planes, and I was using the monitor the other day, and I did a takeoff and landing, all all FPV, uh, and so it wasn't too bad. So I can I can stick with the monitor for now until I find some other thing. Let us know how it goes. I will indeed. That leaves Lee. Lee, come on, you gotta have something new on your workbench, don't you? <laughs> well, there there is no multi rotor item on my bench. Okay, well that's <laughs> so, enough for Lee. <laughs> and that'll wrap up this show. Uh, thank you for watching. No, just kidding. You guys, you guys. What if one just showed up on your doorstep? <laughs> It'd probably stay on my doorstep. No, I'm kidding. Uh, your boys I'm, would love to find I'm, that. I'm, well, I mean, you know, Austin had that little, uh, was it Estes? Yeah, the little Estes ones, those little mini ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, those uh, are the best learning tools. Yeah, until he ran into the fly one of those. Times. Oh. <laughs> okay, going back to what's on my workbench. Uh, from our lad pod, last podcast, I got a couple of nice toys from Terry. I got the FlyZone Zero and the FlightWork P38, and I finished both of those up. One of them at the JSC NASA Warbird event that uh, Fitz helped put on, and it was a really nice event. And I brought both. And uh, as Terry had mentioned, the FlyZone flies uh, nice and slow on a 3S, but really uh, performs better on a 4S, which I completely agree. That was a that was a fun plane to fly. I really enjoyed the Zero. I need to work on the CG, but I think that's a really nice kit, and I hope to keep that in my arsenal for a long time. And then, of course, my Flightwork P38. Uh, boy, that's just so pretty, Terry. I mean, I had a lot of compliments before I even got it on the runway. I was still trying to troubleshoot it. I was having some receiver issues. But... Um, Gosh, that thing flies very well. It's got a couple of quirks due to you know construction. The 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 landing gear door on the left stays open. That pre-molded spinner was way off, so it was a terrible wobble. But my uh, last flight, I took those spinners off, and she just hums. She's a really nice flyer. I I really did enjoy that, so I'm glad I got my hands on that before you sold it at Weatherford. And um, then I. I, for me, was really exciting is that I was able to work with my buddy Ben to uh, get several kits made of my Thunder and Lightning, and I uh, built two. And complete. I, I completed the build on two of them, and I had three kits, and I sold all of them at the uh, the Warbird event. Awesome. So, any follow up from the buyers? No, not yet. Um, I didn't know one guy. He bought three, one for himself and one for each of his sons, so that was really nice. But I, I didn't know him personally, so I didn't have any contact. But uh, one of my friends, Paul, who who kind of pre-ordered it before I got there, he's uh, he was getting ready for ARCA, so it's kind of on the on the back burner. But he, he is going to build it. He says he's, a, he's looking forward to it. What's he getting ready for? ARCA. I don't know what that is. It's uh, over in Austin. It's like a big war, uh, big giant scale or uh, event at the Austin. What is it? Uh, Austin Radio Control Association, something like that. Yeah, thanks, thanks. All right, well, that concludes another round of the RC Roundtable. I want to thank everyone, everyone in the audience for listening to us. And, uh, and thanks, to Lee and Terry, for showing up. Guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. We, I think we had another good episode. Any closing yep, parting thoughts? Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, I think so. Lee? Had a great time. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll leave you this time. And uh, please join us for our next podcast, which should be up in another couple of weeks. And thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts. Those who live in Las Vegas can listen to us over the radio at the all-new Magic 97.9 FM, KIOF LP Las Vegas.